Good morning. Happy Monday. I have neural coffee in hand and it is perfect. All right. Coming off a stellar weekend. I'm digging right into today's Q&A. Um, this is a request. Uh, we did some cable stuff last week as far as breaking down um, a cable. I think it was high-low cable press and somebody asked if we could do something similar with uh, chopping activities. And so that's where we're gonna go today. We're gonna make a, a very specific scenario there so we can kind of talk our way through this within some context. And um, so we're gonna use a wide ISA representation. Uh, that would be somebody that is that is moving forward on a right oblique axis, but they've also been pushed forward. So they're moving towards end game. And so let's grab the pelvis here and kind of talk through what we're actually looking at before we dig into this. So typically I'm gonna be biasing this off of a, a wide ISA. And so we're gonna have somebody that moves on the right oblique axis. Now, if they get pushed forward, so they're moving towards end game, what we're typically gonna see in the right oblique is we're gonna see a retention of that right hip internal rotation. But as they move forward, we're gonna see a loss uh, of internal rotation in addition to more of that right-sided external rotation. That's how we identify the right oblique is the loss of that, that right hip external rotation. Um, but what you're probably going to see in the gym is you're going to see some some IR compensatory strategies for these people that are moved way forward. So if they were performing an, an RDL, you might see what would be traditionally referred to as a hyperlordosis, or you're doing kettlebell swings and you see sort of an ER orientation where you have people that are on the lateral borders of their feet, or they're exaggerating the the knee movement away from from midline. So essentially, what we want to do here is we're going to reverse engineer this process. So they move forward on the right oblique, then they go all the way forward. So we're going to bring them back first, and then we're going to make them uh, turn backwards on that on that left oblique axis. Because what we're trying to do is we're actually trying to re recapture a normal middle propulsive uh, representation. If we turn them too soon, and again, let me let me grab the pelvis here. So if I have somebody that, that was on the right oblique and, and went forward, if, if we try to turn them too soon, all we get is this pure orientation back to the left, and, and that's not terribly helpful in regards to capturing middle propulsion. So um, we're gonna use this, this chopping activity. The nice thing about chopping activities is it actually reduces gravity. So as we pull the weight down, we get some muscle activity on the anterior side. We can create delay strategies posteriorly. So we reduce the muscle activity there. Um, and again, it's, it's a, essentially a reduction in the, the, the influence uh, of gravity. We're gonna start with foot contacts. And so what we wanna do is we wanna think about being right foot heavy. If we're gonna move somebody straight back on that right side, we're gonna keep them right foot heavy and we're gonna be biasing them back into the right. The way we're gonna do that is we're gonna keep the weight along the inside of the right foot. So if you think about putting pressure on the first metatarsal head and then moving the center of gravity back towards the right heel, that's gonna to start to move you in the correct direction. If we apply a little bit of pressure on the left first metatarsal head under these circumstances with the right foot back, then what we're gonna get is we're gonna get this perfect representation where everything's gonna move us back into the delay strategy on the right side. The angle of pull is gonna follow right along the, that, that line between the first metatarsal head and the medial heel on the right side. Exhale on the exertion, so we get the breathing mechanics to, to match the, the axial skeletal mechanics. Um, that would be step one. So that's gonna start to move us uh, back on the right. The way you're gonna know is that you're actually going to recapture that, that right hip internal rotation under those circumstances. Now, we still have the situation where 
we have a, a sacrum that, that is oriented to the right, and so we want a left-facing uh, sacrum under these circumstances. The reason that we want to do this is we're going to put the base of that, that sacrum on the right side. We're going to push that forward so it's actually squared to the front without the late propulsive strategy that was initially uh, um, applied to the pelvis. And so now we're just going to flip-flop our stance. And what I would suggest that you do is instead of having that direct line of pull down, down that line on the right, you simply take a step to your left. And so now we're going to pull down on an oblique angle. So that line of pull is going to change its direction and to a, from a uh, straight back to an upper right to a lower left. So we're going to aim for the inside edge of that left medial heel with our uh, angle of pull. As far as our foot contacts, you're going to apply pressure to the medial heel first. That's going to ensure that we're getting the, the appropriate angle of pull, then apply pressure to the right heel and then the first metatarsal head. And what you're going to feel is you're going to feel that, that pressure against the backside of the pelvis that's going to start to push the right sacral base forward to square to the front. Um, so again, um, real simple, move them back on the right first, then try to make the orientation to the left by applying pressure to the right sacral base. Don't forget your foot contacts, don't forget your line of pull, and remember to exhale on the exertion so the breathing mechanics match the axial skeletal mechanics. If you would like to participate in a 15-minute consultation, please go to askbillhartman at gmail.com, askbillhartman at gmail.com. Put 15-minute consultation in the subject line so I don't delete it, and we'll arrange that at our mutual convenience. Have an outstanding Monday, and I'll see you tomorrow. Good morning, happy Tuesday. I have neural coffee in hand and it is perfect. Okay, digging right into a very busy Tuesday. Um, we're gonna go right into today's Q&A, uh, which is kind of based off yesterday's Q&A. So we talked about a cable chop activity that we would use for a wide infrasternal angle individual who's getting pushed um, further forward into the late propulsive strategy. And so today we're going to do the same thing, but we're going to look at it from a narrow ISA perspective because there are some differences that we want to attend to. So with our narrow ISA, we have a much more uh, vertical helical axis that they're turning on. So, so we have a much flatter turn that would initiate our management of, of internal and external forces. If we were to continue on this path, that we can no longer go forward. And so what we have is somebody that slides over and to the right. And then we start to see the later representation of propulsion showing up on the right side as well. So typically what we're going to do to identify these people is we're going to see a, uh, a greater loss of external rotation on that left side as they get pushed further to the right, though, you're going to start to see the ER drop off on the right side, and you're going to see a loss of internal rotations on, on both sides as well, especially with the bigger shifts. Um, in the gym, what you're probably going to see is a lot of uh, lumbar spine substitutions for the inability to move through through the, the hip and pelvis. So we're losing relative motions in the hip and pelvis. We're going to see the substitution. So if you were doing a toe touch or a squat or something like that, you're going to see what would be referred to as a lot of lumbar flexion under those circumstances. So we want to think about this process the same way that we did with the Y. We're going to reverse engineer this process. So what we need to do first is in, instead of trying to move someone back 
on that on that left side where they had started from um, we're gonna move them from right to left first if we were to try to to move them back on the left too soon all you're gonna get is a left orientation very similar to to what we saw when trying to move people too quickly um, to the left side with with the wides um, once we get them moved from right to left, then we can start to, to move them backwards. So um, using the cable chop like we did yesterday, we're gonna set this up so that we're actually creating a force from right to left. And we, if we look at the foot setup, we're gonna start with a left heel heavy. Um, but we're going to bias our, our pull so that as we pull from right to left, we're going to pull backwards into that left heel. So we need to maintain weight along the inside edge uh, of that right foot. But again, we're going to stay heel heavy. We want to think about pushing from heel to heel under these circumstances. Because um, if, if we go too far towards the, the forefoot, so if we start to put too much pressure towards that, that right first metatarsal head, what we're going to do is we're going to try to turn people too soon. And again, that's what we're going to start to see, see this orientation. Exhale on the exertion as we typically would. Inhale on the return. Um, and then we're going to move to step two. So once we move you from right to left, so we're going to start to see the ERs return on, on the right. We're going to start to recapture some internal rotation as well. And then we're going to start to move you backwards. So now we're going to flip-flop the stance just a little bit. We're going to get a little bit deeper into this right foot forward, left foot back stance. We're going to move the pressure on the, on the left side from first metatarsal head back into the left heel. We want to make sure that we're pushing straight back as much as we can, um, thus the, the deeper stance. So the line of pull now is still going to be on our oblique from right to left, but it's going to be a much steeper pull. And again, we're aiming for the inside edge of that left heel so as you pull down and and back if you were to hold that bottom position and take an inhale you should feel expansion on that posterior left side now word of caution and um, one of the common mistakes that people make here is getting a little bit too aggressive with their pulls and they start to pull towards the outside of, of the right knee instead of aiming for the inside edge of that, that left heel. Under those circumstances, what you end up doing is you end up ERing on both hips and you go right back into your, your external rotation substitution. You get a lot of lumbar spine motion and you don't capture the relative motion in the, in the hip and the pelvis like we would. So, quick review. Make sure you get your foot contacts. We're gonna be biased very, very heavy towards this, this left medial heel under most circumstances. Remember your line of pull. We're gonna be um, pulling more from right to left initially, and then we're going to pull more back and to the left. Exhale in the exertion. If you're having trouble capturing the early representation on the left side, pause at the bottom of your pull, take an inhale, make sure you're capturing the expansion. Hopefully that helps a few of you people separate the difference between your narrows and your wides in regards to your cable chops. If you would like to participate in a 15-minute consultation, please go to askbillhartman at gmail.com, askbillhartman at gmail.com. Put 15-minute consultation in the subject line so I don't delete it, and we will arrange that at our mutual convenience. Have an outstanding Tuesday. I'll see you tomorrow. Good morning. Happy Wednesday. I have NeuroCoffee in hand, and it is perfect. Okay. So it is Wednesday. That means that tomorrow is Thursday, which means 6 a.m. tomorrow morning. Coffee and coaches conference call as usual. Great group of people. Great questions. Always a great time. Um, hope you uh, can join us. Um, please don't miss out on that. So again, 6 a.m. tomorrow morning. Link will be on my professional Facebook page just prior to the call. 
Okay, digging into today's Q&A. This comes from uh, Greg via email. And Greg says, when working with a right oblique pelvic orientation in split squats, I understand that we would likely want to use a right foot forward position first to bring the sacral base forward relative to the left while still being able to create the delay strategy by pushing back and to the left. Greg, that is correct. So yeah, he asked, he says, let me know if this is not quite right, but that is actually correct. Uh, in terms of the foot cues for the split squat, would we want to start by cueing pushing from the right first met head back towards the left first met head? Um, again, I think that you're absolutely correct, but we have to look at this through the excursion. First and foremost, let's look at, uh, let's look at a right oblique orientation first, okay? So, from the back. So right oblique orientation, we've got pressure against the, the left sacrum that's going to push this side up and forward. That pushes us up and over this, this right side. So what we're gonna see is we're gonna see the loss of external rotation measures here and again in internal rotation. Now, keep in mind that that gain in internal rotation is not relative motion. It is because of the orientation of the pelvis. So as we go through the split squat under this circumstance, we need to bring this side of the pelvis up and then we wanna orient it in the opposite direction so we can start to pick up some, some true internal rotation. So, one of the easier ways to do this is to elevate the front foot. So um, the picture that we're gonna use here is we're gonna show a front foot elevated split squat. And Greg, you're absolutely correct. We wanna put that pressure on the first metatarsal head initially, because what we have here is an ER representation with the first superimposition of, of internal rotation on top of that. So that first met head becomes very, very important. It's also gonna keep us pushing back and to the left, as you, as you said. We wanna keep pressure against the right side of the sacrum to keep it forward, because as we decide then the sacrum is going to square to the front in, a, in our nutated IR representation. Now, the thing that we want to recognize, though, is as we descend, we're going to move that, that pressure back towards the heel because what we don't want to do is we don't want to elevate the heel because that's going to move us in towards a late representation, which is an externally rotated position with a reduction in internal rotation. So if we're trying to maximize our internal rotation at the bottom of the split squat, we want to make sure that that, that center of gravity is staying back over the heel, but we want the tibia to translate forward as far as we can with that heavy heel. That's what's gonna give us the maximum representation of internal rotation at the bottom of the split squat. Another point that I wanna make is to stop the descent of the split squat as the tibia reaches its maximum translation forward. If you exceed that depth, what's gonna happen is you're gonna shift a yielding action up into the lumbar spine, which is gonna to try to turn it in the opposite direction. So it's gonna to try to turn the spine to the right. We wanna make sure that everything stays oriented to the left so we can keep pushing back on that left oblique throughout the activity. Greg, this is a great question. Um, hope these tweaks are helpful for you uh, to understand how to better utilize the, the split squat on this right oblique orientation. Uh, if you would like to participate in a 15 minute consultation, please go to askbillhartman at gmail.com, askbillhartman at gmail.com. Put 15 minute consultation in the subject line so I don't delete it and we will arrange that at our mutual convenience. Everybody have an outstanding Wednesday. I will see you tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. Coffee and Coaches Conference Call. Good morning, happy Thursday. I have neural coffee in hand and it is perfect. All right, man, that's really good. Wow, I nailed it today. So I was re-watching um, the video you did on Lee's plyo step in the video where like, yeah, like the different quadrants of the pelvic outlet.
drawn up and just like whatever. okay yeah it's been a while yeah that one's from uh back in 20, almost a year ago i guess yeah um, that's a lifetime for me man I'm like a dog i'm like a dog it's like seven years from me. all right i'll try i'll try to do a little refresher into the question <laughs> i think i remember it um so i'm cool with the rep so the example you were using was like someone stealing a base from first to second so it'd be like a cut off of the left leg yeah um, I'm cool with the initial representation as they're just standing there in like a slight hip hinge athletic position where the anterior outlet bilaterally is concentric um, and posterior eccentric. I was wondering if you could talk specifically uh, about the changes that occur as they lift the left leg up to reposition into the plyo step because I'm not really seeing why the so on the right side anterior you have that switch to eccentric overcoming and then uh -huh. left becomes eccentric yielding. But to me, like the conditions on the right side, it doesn't look like that extremity really changes because you don't pick that side up. So I'm just curious how, like why that flips to eccentric in the right anterior outlet. Okay, what, what happens to, what happens? So, so you got to think in moments here, don't think in sustained durations, okay? Because this is fast. This is something that happens very, very quickly. Yeah. All right, if you're just standing there, okay? And if I, if I unweight that foot. The left foot? Yeah, that's what we're talking about, right? Yeah. Okay, if I unweight that foot, how hard are you pushing into the ground? Not at all. Okay, which direction is your center of gravity going? Uh, it's gonna fall to the left. Okay, how can that possibly be if I have a concentric orientation of the anterior outlet? Why wouldn't you just need the eccentric orientation on the left side to the left to give you space to move there? That's like what, what I was saying. You're picking up your left foot. Okay, somebody needs to mute. So you pick up your left foot center of gravity is gonna, gonna fall to the left, right? It's gonna move to the left, down. It's gonna move down into the left, am I correct? Right. Okay, how does it get there? So I, 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 see, I, guess I see why the eccentric, like why it needs to go eccentric orientation in the left anterior outlet, but why does the right anterior outlet also need to be eccentrically oriented? Well, what is that like doing? To me, it's the way I'm thinking about it, you need a concentric strategy posteriorly anteriorly on the right because you're, you're pushing you think you're pushing as you're falling oh okay so is the whole center of gravity going up or down down so that's that's what, where you get the eccentric anterior yep all right yeah just think, thinking about it more as a, a fall as opposed to actually so hang on a plyo step is a step. You're going oh, into early. So you're going into early on one side, late on the other. Are both of those ER representations? Yeah. Yeah. There you go. You see it? Yep. So now if we if we like take that to like a like actually coming into the change of direction with a little bit a little bit of momentum. And like now you actually, you have a penultimate step on that right side. Um, and then 
if we were to, if we could take the snapshot at like the same moment of time as trying to like line it up with a plyo step is that going to the mechanics are going to probably still look the same i would imagine it's not really going to change because you have momentum it just be that the forces will be different but the the mechanics are going to be the same all right so so at at the higher rate you're going to see just a, a narrower uh total excursion right so it's like I'm not going to see a I'm not going to see a, a positional change that's this big because the movement isn't that big, right? It's a smaller movement at a higher speed. You understand? Because you're you're coming into it with more momentum, so if you're if you're loading the tissues at a higher rate, they're just not going to move as much. Exactly, because think about it. I need time to do that, don't I? Yeah. I don't have time, so the excursions are smaller, but the rules don't change. Gotcha. All right. Right. So, so whatever joint position I need, that's going to, that's going to determine how much excursion I have, but you're still going to have those moments of unweighted, weighted, higher force. So you still have early, you still have a middle, you still have a max, you still have a late. Yep. All right. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I guess last, last piece to this, and I think I asked you a little bit about this at the intensive, um, but just like, Kind of trying to reconcile, especially in like a rehab setting, you can see a lot of ACLs. Um, so like a connective tissue injury, oftentimes occurring during like a change of direction. Um, there needs to be the capacity to yield, because if there's too stiff everywhere, then potentially you're seeing that stiffness get translated to tissues that you don't want it to. Um, but at the same time, like in these high speed changes of direction, like performance is associated with that ability to stay stiff and just get in and out of cuts quickly. Um, so is the goal, I guess, cause you don't, don't want to steal athletic ability, but by giving them some degree of relative motion, it would be safe to say that like, we're, tr we're trying to allow them to distribute the stiffer response over more joints like that. If they're, if they're not stiff, if they're not already stiff, they have room to become stiff everywhere. And then as opposed to needing that like focal stiffness is where you might have the issue. Is that like a safe statement? Yeah. So, so why, so how much, how much, uh, how much extensibility does, does a ligament have before it breaks? Not too much. It's really small. It's like six to 8% of its, of its length or something. It's, it's really small, but it does have some. But what if I what if I can't distribute that force over a long enough or or a large enough area, and I get a focal load on on one small area of a ligament that has to absorb all of that force? What happens? That's that's when you probably exceed that six to eight. That's yeah. So that's that's literally what an injury is, right? When we see destruction of tissues you have taken a tissue to its, its limit, right? So it's, the, it's what is it, the, it's beyond the plastic, it's beyond the plastic element of, of those tissues, right? And so that's where you get tissue destruction because you've just reached its, its capabilities, right? It's still gonna, I mean, you're still gonna load those tissues, but what, what you're teaching them through the, the, the process as they regain fitness and, and come back to play is you're teaching them how to, to distribute those loads. Whereas prior to that, they created focal loads, right? Yep. Yeah. 
this is why your KPIs become important as you train people, right? You have to determine like which ones are representative of, of their best performance. And then you have to say, okay, if I let this thing run rampant, what's gonna happen, right? Gotcha. That's why you start to see focal stresses show up. And, you know, um, you know with the discrete activities, it's a little bit easier, right? Because they come in and they point to stuff, right? They go, hurts right there kind of a thing. It's a little bit easier to identify where they're putting the focal stressors. Well, those are nicer because you can almost get like immediate real-time feedback. It's like, all right, were you able to redistribute it the way in which you were intending? And then because right. the symptoms like, go away. But when they don't move. feel anything, right? When you're, when you're going through the process and they don't feel anything anymore and you go, okay, that's, that's what I wanted, right? I wanted, I wanted the outcome without this, the, the focal sensation, right? Yeah, the, the, the acute like traumatic injuries are the tougher ones. I'm trying to get more comfortable with the gray because like, or you just don't know until it's too late. In a lot of those cases, that, like if, if they were able to distribute appropriately, you try to teach them as best you can. And like, you feel like if you're monitoring the certain KPIs, but you don't know if they're gonna overload until it's too late. You don't, you don't. That's so. that, but again, this, this, is, this, is, this is the iterative process of preparation. You don't know what the answer is going to be. You don't know what their capabilities are until you are exposing them over time, right? And, and, and it, it helps. And I think, you know, probably one of the advantages of, and Jen can probably speak to this better than I can, but one of the advantages that we have when we have professionals come in is we, they have a profile of what their capabilities are. And we've got enough exposures that we kind of know where they need to be to play. And so then we can compare where they are to, to um, where they need to be based on their previous performances, right? They have enough data. Whereas we have somebody that comes in blind and says, hey, I got eight weeks to train for an event. And we go, okay, well, what have you done before? And they go, well, I did this, this, and this. And that's kind of, it's very gray, right? And so we train them and we do the best equipment. We're making some estimates. We're making, we're making some educated guesses as to, okay, I think you need to be at this level to perform to this capacity, right? And then you train them and you see. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. That's why this is fun. So much fun. <laughs> it is though. It, no, is. it is. That's the thing. It's like, it's like all of those days, of, all the days of frustration that you feel, that's the fun part. Right, you got to recognize that. Otherwise, you're not going to make it. It's, it's going to drive you batty, and you'll be out of this in six years, and you'll be selling insurance. It's it's Nobody fun, frustrating, all all wrapped up in one. Right, Habib, you what like that one? Bill, <laughs> that was a good one, Bill. <laughs> hey, Bill. Uh, my English isn't that good. What does fun mean? I thought it was like you know fun, not frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> what's the difference <laughs> okay, okay okay i see it if you can if you can appreciate if you can appreciate the frustration so like every time you feel that every time every time that that, that you you're challenged by that and you and you accept the challenge that's that's a good sign right if you move away from it then you probably need to rethink your your process and maybe your professional goals a little bit Right, but if it if it if it's 
if it's if it's like you 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 want to help them or you want to know the answer and you're willing to go you know dig through all the crap then then you're in the right place because because it, it 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 becomes so much more satisfying when you when you are successful right um satisfying don't pat yourself on the back don't get excited about it don't get don't get upset about your failures don't get thrilled about your successes just recognize them for what they are but it's the curiosity like if you're still curious if you're still um you know trying to figure things out it's a good sign hey bill i have a quick follow-up on, on zach's last question uh -huh. there. Uh -huh. would you say you know if someone's coming back from some sort of acute injury could you use essentially like video of their prior mechanics to post mechanics to then say okay i have improved distribution of load based on what i'm seeing prior to what we're seeing now that might be an indication it, it it might be so so let's think about this though so let's consider the mechanics prior to the injury are they the ones that set them up for the injury so so you're gonna have to make a judgment right you're gonna have to say that i like this better so you you know you get the uh you get the videos of the guys, like the, the view from behind on, on the mound and um, something as simple as looking at their drag mark, yep. you know, and you look at the shape of the drag mark and you go, oh, he's hanging in onto his ER too long. Right. And then he comes in and he starts complaining about medial elbow pain. And now you got the association and you go, oh, okay. So then you, you, you take him through the process and then you're shooting the video and you see that drag mark start to straighten out and you go, okay, now I got, I got the, I got the IR back. That might be one of those favorable things that, that you're going to make a comparison to. I would just be really careful as to what kind of a judgment you're making it with the, with the pre video saying that these are supposedly the ideal mechanics, maybe, right. you know, maybe from a performance standpoint, but it also might be a demonstration of their inability to manage their superpowers. Right. Yeah. <laughs> So that becomes a money muscle in this regard when we're trying to okay. untwist the tibia. Good morning. Happy Friday. I have NeuroCoffee in hand and it is perfect. All right. Happy Friday. Looking forward to an interesting weekend. Rumor has it I actually have to leave town this weekend. I usually just stay in this little corner of my house, um, but apparently I must leave this place. So um, we will dig straight into today's Q&A, which is actually a little bit of a perfect storm in regards to a knee orientation um, question that came up yesterday on the, on the coffee and coaches call. And so Timus asked a question about something that you'll see that's very, very common, where you'll see uh, an externally rotated tibia relative to an internally rotated uh, femur. In, in most cases of medial knee pain, you're going to see this orientation. Um, and then in lateral knee pain, you'll see this orientation with a superimposition of external rotation on top of it that comes down from the hip. So that'll just give you a couple of hints um, as to what you might be looking at in certain circumstances. Also have two simple solutions on the YouTube channel in regards to both of those, those representations. But, but Timus was asking for a very specific strategy to sort of untwist that representation from the bottom up. And so we actually covered that uh, yesterday on the, the uh, Coffee and Coaches call. And so again, this is gonna be a very useful uh, video for many of you that are dealing either with your own knee issues or you're trying to strategize. 
The perfect storm element came from yesterday. I got a text from uh, an attendee of the intensive that is actually using these strategies both manually and through exercise um, with great success. So um, it, it is useful and I think you'll find it useful as well. So everybody have an outstanding Friday. We're going to cut away to a segment from yesterday's coffee and coaches conference call. And then don't forget to subscribe to the YouTube channel. Um, I am traveling this weekend, so we'll get the podcast up as quickly as we can this weekend as well. Have a great Friday. I'll see you next week. Uh, I wanted to ask you, a few weeks ago, you were trying to um, help me to understand the rotation that happens through the tibia as an end range compensation when, when the things start to ER mm-hmm. on, the, on the whole left side we were talking about. Yep. Uh, and you mentioned something about that as, we, as, as the person puts the weight through the inside of the, of the tibia, the motion over there stops, but it keeps ERing on the outside of the tibia and through fibula as well something at least something that the, the proximal tibia er's yes but I, you mentioned about something about the gray sort of movement in between the parts of the bone that the medial part would actually sort of stops and then the lateral part still keeps ERing or something like that i might have gotten it wrong so i just wanted to ask you about about this where where are we where are we in in movement here give me a give me a context and i can i can that's, be a little bit more clear so that's that's basically when you have the the posterior lower compression you get the the sort of very late representation of the ilium yes, sir. when the when the when the knee is already starting to turn outwards and you we're superimposing the, more external rotation on top of the the whole yes. leg from the top down yeah. Yeah, so it's very, very end range, and then the foot comes up as well, and sort of everything just goes yeah, out. Yeah, we were side. just talking about that with uh, with Misha, right? Okay. Yes. 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 Yeah. And okay. I think you mentioned about something that the motion and time stops at the medial side because you're that's where you're putting the weight through, but right. you keep okay. yeah. Yes. 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 So, so the distal the distal tibia will be more relatively internally rotated. So it's more in, more okay. in IR than the proximal tibia would be because uh-huh. I still have to put force into the ground. Okay. The degree of which is dependent on how late this representation is. So the, okay. so the more of the late strategy that's coming down, so, that, so the, the more ER that I'm superimposing against this whole limb. And again, this is what's mm-hmm. gonna create that bowed representation under the extreme circumstances. Okay, the, the distal tibia will be more internally rotated mm-hmm. than, than the okay. proximal would be under those circumstances, because that's, again, I have to put force into the ground somewhere. The question mark is, is how much do I have? And are there any, any methods to actually reverse that twist in the bone? Because, yeah. I, because that, okay, what, can you target specific muscles that would sort of uh, create that change backwards yeah. in time? And what would that be if you could share this? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so hang on. So yeah. so where where is the where is the the larger superimposition of ER coming from? The pelvis. Okay, so so you've got to capture more internal rotation yeah. proximally. Otherwise, okay. you can you can spend days trying to change yes. things at the ground, and it won't matter, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. But let's just talk about the lower leg for a sec. Mm-hmm. All right. So if, if I fix your foot to the ground, so I'm going to take my hand and I'm going to fix your foot to the ground, but you're going to twist your tibia into ER. Okay. okay. All right. Do you know the muscles that are attached to the lower leg? Uh, yes, I think. Okay. So 
Um, what if I if I if I twist a tibia, mm -hmm. right into ER proximally? Mm -hmm. What muscles did I move into an eccentrically oriented position? Well, I suppose um, tibialis anterior potentially. Okay. Um, that's a biggie, by the way. That's a baby. That's a small one, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's a biggie. It's a big that's one. Big. That's a big, a big one. one. Look where okay, it's attached. So look where look where tibialis anterior is attached. On the fibula, and and the proximal tibia on the lateral side. Wait. Okay, so hang on. So, so let's draw a line. Let's draw a line from its attachment down at the foot all the way up to where it's proximally attached. Okay. Would that be a really, really long line if I, if I externally rotated the proximal tibia? Yes. Okay, what if I shortened that distance? Would that be helpful to turn the tibia inwards? Yes. By yes. a long shot, it would, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So that becomes a money muscle in this regard mm -hmm. when we're trying to okay. untwist the tibia. Mm -hmm. I see. Okay. Uh -huh. So in what position would that be an ideal scenario to untwist that tibia? What would you, what would you like to do there? What would you, need to, what would you need to, you have to, you have to have a fixed point. You have to have a moving point, right? Where mm -hmm. do you want to fix it? So I'd say we would like to have a fixed internal, internally rotated pelvis while we twisting the, where, while we have the foot fixed and trying to twist the knee. Yeah, okay. Do, do you have any suggestions how that would be created, this complex scenario? It, it's, it's terribly complex. <laughs> you want to do it? Okay. Demonstrate it for everybody. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Really hard. Okay. okay. You got to stand up. Okay. Put your uh, put your right foot slightly in front of your left foot. Can you point your Can you point your camera down at your at your legs? I can try. There we go. Yeah, that'll that'll work. That'll work. Uh, Just move back a little bit. Okay. Okay. Move back a little bit. Can you move back at all? Yes. There we go. Okay, put your right foot slightly in front of your left foot. Just a little bit, okay? Bend both knees. Okay, now go straight down with your pelvis so your knees go forward and your tibia translates over your foot. Okay, now in regards to where your tibia is, mm -hmm. If we were talking about propulsion, where would your tibia be? Early, middle, or late? Um, and range middle. Perfect. Is that internal rotation? Yes. Excellent. So, we, so we've got internal rotation um, from the ground up, don't we? Yes. Yes. Okay. okay. Now, huh? Yes, yes, yes. Makes sense. Okay. Okay. Now. I want to concentrically orient that tibialis anterior, don't I, to get the tibia to twist inward? Yes. How would I do that? Um, so let me ask you this. Let me ask you this, Timus. Mm -hmm. um, if, if we were talking dead guy anatomy, yeah. what would that tibialis anterior do um, based on all the textbooks? D dorsiflexion inversion. Okay, cool. 
So, but if I fix the foot to the floor and I mm -hmm. don't let the foot come up off the floor, what would the tibia yeah. do if I contracted tibialis anterior? Uh, knee flexion, so the tibial translation forward. Yeah. So guess what? Tibialis anterior is not a dorsiflexor, is it? It's a knee flexor, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yes, How about a... that? Mm -hmm. That's really cool. Yeah. So would, really would you cool, apply that? resistance to the tibia to actually get a little sometimes, bit more? Activity? Sometimes you can. Sometimes you uh -huh. can if they can't capture it. But but a lot of okay. times I try to get people to, to do it without without the resistance mm -hmm. so they can actually actively capture that. So, so okay. yes, so, so when your foot's on the ground, tibialis anterior is a knee flexor. Uh -huh. so, so I'm gonna pull that knee forward with tibialis anterior with that foot fixed to the ground. So okay. I, end up, I, I end up creating a late, or I'm not a late, I'm sorry, a, an end range middle propulsive uh -huh. foot, tibia, knee, hip. Uh -huh. Yes, yes, yes. Well, that's really so I drive IR all the way down, okay? Uh -huh. All I have to do is make sure that I capture the concentric orientations, and then that takes care of the twisting. Yes, yes. Oh, that's that's, that's really good.